Everyone has a story. I get them to tell it. Welcome to the Aaron Bender Podcast, conversations with media personalities about their personal and professional lives and journeys. Really appreciate your support, whether you're watching on YouTube or nightly at 11 on DBNA TV at dbnatelevision.tv or streaming with the DBNA TV app on Amazon Fire, Roku, and Apple TV, or listening on your favorite platform. Before we get to my conversation with Andy Reesmeyer, a little about my story. I'm a widowed dad of two girls who just lost their mom, a grieving husband, a man in recovery trying to reconnect with the world with fresh eyes, faith, and perspective, a college journalism professor, a white guy in a world of injustice, a 20-year broadcast media veteran who had his dream job and then lost it. A year and a half ago, God gave me a gift, an opportunity to stop, step back, and breathe so I can learn about love, vulnerability, forgiveness, grace, self-care, patience, and understanding. Andy Reesmeyer is one of the hosts on the wildly successful KTLA 5 Live weekday afternoons, 4 to 6 on KTLA.com and on the KTLA Plus app with Samantha Cortese, Bobby Gonzalez, and Robert Puente. We've been talking uh, for two years now about doing a podcast, and here it is, finally. Andy moved out to L.A. to be a musician and ended up doing news on TV, but don't worry, he's still recording and posting music videos on Instagram We cover the winding road that led him to Hollywood from Indiana, and that's where he was when we talked in March, was visiting family as his father was fighting pancreatic cancer. And sadly, since we recorded this conversation, Jeffrey Reesmeyer passed away. I never met Andy's dad, but if I'd have had the chance to talk to him, I'd tell him how good a job he did with his son. You got to get pretty now. You got to get pretty. Got to get my makeup on. No, that's fine. Uh, We can do that as I very quickly find my powder at some point (laughs) no this is fine see the thing is i'm 32 but people need to think that i'm 17 otherwise otherwise the 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 agreement on what people say on the youtube comments doesn't work you're gonna bust the illusion exactly one of the biggest things is that people look at our show and they say what the hell are these high schoolers doing reading the news they're so unprofessional and so i need to keep that up because that's like become our shtick does it feel like high school sometimes? KTLA uh, Five Live because you, you know, guys have so much fun, <laughs> and that's really not usually allowed feels, in the professional setting. No, it feels the exact opposite of high school because I don't know if I first of all wasn't in high school a lot. Uh, so so <laughs> and so the journey begins, day, right? So because I go to work every day and I'm there all the time, it definitely doesn't feel like high school because I wouldn't have been a present for most <laughs> much of high school. Uh, and also, high school for me was not fun um, up until maybe my junior year. So I guess half of high school was fun. Why? Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because I have been I'm home in Indiana where I'm from originally, and I have had a lot of time to think about. Uh, being back here I left 10 years ago I graduated high school 12 years ago 13 years ago and um, I really did not I just didn't I it was like I was bad at school forever I was terrible at school I I kind of had this thing where I felt like I was too good for it which is a wonderful complex to have especially when you're a child (laughs) um i say that sarcastically everyone hates you but the thing is that i i didn't like school for a long time up until i was until i actually started doing radio we had a radio tv program in school 
in high school. It was 89.3 WJEL. It is still on the air, FM. And we all had our, our own shows. Like after, I had like a drive time show after school. Look at you. And, and it wasn't until then that the Andy Reesmeyer show uh, happened that I realized that what I needed was um, just full narcissism <laughs> to be interested in a thing. <laughs> if I could put myself in the center of it, then I'd be into it, you know, and then I would care about it. No, but um, that, that really was a huge thing for me. And I had wonderful teachers and they, you know, the radio TV program at North Central High School was really part of this like vocational school. And it was back built behind the actual high school in its own separate building that was like, they built it in 1972 and then they didn't, they were like, okay, we're done. We're never going to touch it after that. And so we know it works. Why yeah. mess with it? We don't have right. the money to mess with it. Oh yeah. Oh, public school. Great. And all the other sort of, uh, 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 you know, wayward youth like myself came from all over the County to that school to learn things like cosmetology or, um, uh, cooking, uh, auto body, all these sort of like vocational programs. All of which, that, by that, the way, you use on a regular basis on KTLA Five Live. Honestly, uh, you should see the fender work that I do to the to the Five Live trucks because you know we don't have a ton of money in in local news, so uh, you know we're all pulling double duty. Uh, you're right. I'm I'm out there uh, hammering out dents that um, Mark Mester put in there with uh, his <laughs> with his jawline. Um, <laughs> You know, okay, so here's the deal. I was going to say surfboard. For the record, I was going to say Mark Mester's surfboard. You took it to jawline. I mean, have, well, I like look at the man. He is, he's, a, he is a beautiful man. A specimen. <laughs> the, they will write books about him. Art is being made as we speak. And a good, a good cook. But all these kids, you know, in this high school program, uh, and like I said, there's radio TV and cosmetology and auto body and... Uh, engine repair airplane engine repair all these things that i think for a lot of people myself included were really bad at the rest of school but they got to do this program i sound like mike rowe when i say this but it's honestly true and everybody else at school thought we were like losers and i loved that because i just didn't care you know i was like i wasn't about that and like i said before i have a hard time with authority so it was kind of a fun thing and i had these great teachers and they said well you like radio you'd love to do radio here just do it here's two hours uh, once a week, I think is what we started at, of just live radio. And so I sat there in 2004, 2005 probably, and I played The Fray, and I played Jeff Buckley Hallelujah, and I played all these Augustana, and I got to talk in between it and like practice hitting the post, and then eventually got it into more talk, uh, talk radio format. Which is really the only reason you got into it to begin with. I mean, for real. And uh, I remember them being like, you probably should play some more music. Because, <laughs> you know, that was, it's, it's funny because I, I, I drove by that place on the way over here uh, to the office where I am currently um, doing this, this fantastic podcast from. Uh, and, um, you know, it really is incredible to think about how, how, how that was like the start of it for me and how far that I uh, have come from that moment. Um, and that, like, you don't really get a lot of those. And so it feels really good to feel like that's a, that's a thing to, to, to be aware of. We'll talk about some specifics about your career journey, because I am literally just going to have you read the bio off your website because it's way oh, too much man. to cover in one episode of podcast. So we'll pick up, we'll pick it apart after you read it, but I want to find out, you mentioned something there. 
you've got this problem with authority. Where's that mm. come from? Where's what? What's the what's the deal there? You do you have brothers or sisters, or was it like only child? Re, you know, rebellion. What what's the deal, man? That's a great question. I have a lot of brothers and sisters. I've got six step siblings. I have one naturalized biological brother. <laughs> so I don't think it was a lot of that. You know what I think it was is that both of my parents are pretty. Um, they're very smart, and uh, my dad has always been like the smartest person I've ever known. And he was very good at, um, and both of my parents were very good at raising individualized people. And uh, I think that was on purpose in a lot of ways. And for some reason, I don't know, it just, and I don't know if it's because the way that whatever my brain chemistry was or the time that we grew up in the world, when there was all of a sudden the internet and a lot of distraction um, in the early 90s, mid 90s, when I was really like a kid, my formative years or whatever. Right. And I think that I was really into a lot of adult stuff. Like I remember being a kid and just wanting to be an adult and being in this headspace that said, I want to drive a car. I want freedom. I want to be able to do a job. I want to be considered an adult really bad. I really wanted that. And so I think a lot of the stuff that I had to do in school was just not interesting to me. And maybe I also had the luxury of if I didn't do anything in school, nothing would really happen um, because it's not like, you know, you get fired for, I guess you can get expelled or held back, but nobody's going to be like, man, you really screwed up. You didn't, you didn't put in, you know, your effort this week and now your kids aren't going to eat, you know, there's no consequences. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. I just think that I wasn't, I wasn't bothered couldn't be bothered uh and um you know thank god i figured something out because otherwise i probably would still be uh you know in seventh grade in a lot <laughs> of the conversations i have with journalists it's very similar stories there's some similar um you know what i'll just say similarities that's the word so there are a lot of similarities in that through school they they nothing really clicked for them Mm -hmm. because they wanted to be creative. They didn't really know how to, to, to channel that because many schools don't have what your school ended up having with, with a mm -hmm. radio station and, and they don't really have that outlet. Yeah. I think there's a combination of, and I kind of was kidding earlier, but I'm sort of serious. I just think a lot of it is, okay, now I see myself in from from afar a bit right and when you when you're doing something and you're like oh i i can see what i am i have an identity i feel like i'm a defined thing as a reporter or as an anchor or as a writer there's some reflection of self in it right and i think that that's really compelling for a lot of people i think that's why we have so many people who are social media stars um for better or for worse the other thing is that interestingly enough school which is great is not really designed to create somebody who's a good journalist. Almost by default, the whole point of school is that you show up, there's this list of things that they give you that you say, they say, this is the rule, this is the plan, follow this. As soon as you do this, you idiot, I'll give you a good grade based on how well you listened to me and did that thing. Right. Obviously, it's way more complicated than that. But that a lot, you know, a lot is the repetition of this sort of format and i think <clears throat> and not that i do a lot of this but a lot of the really good journalists say okay i see the syllabus i see what the what the elected official is telling me mm -hmm. i see what the celebrity is saying in this interview but what the hell is really going on right and so 
I think that you kind of have to have this skepticism and this challenging of authority thing built into your DNA in order to be a really good journalist because your bullshit meter has to be able to be always on. Right. And um, I hadn't ever thought of that until you just said it. And now I feel like I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> Add that to the bio. There you go. So uh, you keep you've mentioned a couple of times that you're in Indiana. Yes. Why sir. are you back home? I'm back visiting my family. Um, I have talked about this on the show a little bit uh, in, in that my my dad has uh, pancreatic cancer, which is uh, awful. He was diagnosed two years ago uh, with it, and he has been battling it ever since. And so um, got a chance really to go back and, and spend some more time with him. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a grim thing, you know, and I don't, there's no sugarcoating it. And I've been trying to sort of selective about what I'm sharing with the audience because I don't really want, what I don't want to have happen is that there to be this, like, I don't want to share too much if that makes sense. But he, you know, was doing treatment in LA and now he's back in Indiana and we're looking at other treatment options. But really the whole point now is to try to just say like, let's, let's make him comfortable and Let's all try to be together for a little bit. Uh, luckily, most of the people in Indiana and most of my family has been vaccinated against COVID-19, a novel concept, uh, something that we you know, probably would never have in California for, for at least a while. And um, it was finally, it was sort of the first opportunity that we could all be together for a little while. So I just said, okay, let me do that. I'll pick up the show. I'll go back as long as I can, as long as I can be here. Uh, and uh, I am doing the show now from my uh mom's office uh she uh was uh she owns a business here and um this is where my first job was actually as a filing uh assistant and i would file papers alphabetically in this room my my first job was it. also at my mom's my mom's company and there it was a lot like what you just described there was a lot of papers and and some calculators oh my god it is I'm so happy it, it, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, like th where I was when I was here last, you know, doing work <laughs> and I just like wanted to die because I was so bored and I was so bad at it. I mean, it was literally like you go into work every day and there's these boxes, you can't see them, but there's these huge boxes of, of files, just, just individual papers, thousands of indi individual papers. And you would look for the name of the person and you'd put the name of the person you put the paper in their file and their files could be anywhere in this, in this space. <laughs> so it's just this like Kafka-esque nightmare that like, that is just, you know, thank God that's over. But by the way, enough about this setup that you've got there, audio and video so far in the 15 or 20 conversations I've had so far for the Aaron Bender podcast, it is the total package here. Oh, you've got the you. microphone and the video. What, what is this setup? Because it really, it's set up in such a way it looks like you've got a green screen back there. No, this is real life. I can show you. Ready? Yeah. Yeah, I still don't believe it. <laughs> you have to be, all that have to means, be comfortable, Aaron, with the silence. All that means is the green screen is far behind you. That's all that means. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, this is the green screen, and I'm using a photo of what the office actually looks like behind the green screen on the green screen. Um, no, so this is a uh, this is my travel kit. I, I have been really lucky that I uh, worked on a lot of stuff before even I got back into news, and I was shooting a bunch of things, and I learned how to shoot, and I learned how to use uh, nicer cameras, and um, 
light stuff. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is set up little shots places and just sort of find things that look cool. And I had sort of a go kit that I packed up and I took my camera and I bought some lights out here and um, set it all up and ran it through the uh, ran it through this office computer that I found. And so it's sort of, you know, it kind of held together with chewing gum and tape. But I will say this, I was doing the show at my house during pandemic, the pandemic uh, first shutdown. And I got on rate my Skype room, which was really, I mean, anybody's uh, biggest, biggest uh, aspiration from being at home. And they gave me a 10 out of 10. And I have um, since been in a serious competition with um, everyone's favorite morning anchorman and Frank Buckley interviews, interviewer <laughs> Frank Buckley, uh, for who has the better at home Skype place. If you ask him, it's him. Uh, of course, I will never cede that to him. But we both are, uh, are sort of a toe and toe toe to toe i think it's time so it's, to read your bio i okay, think it's time. Right. Are, are you ready there this is andy com slash about this is so cringy i wrote it to not be cringy this was a couple years ago i was I gonna ask cringy, when did you but... write it and when was the last time you read through it oh my god it's been a minute so here we go you guys ready Ugh, it's a squarespace website by the way you will be familiar with it we all have the same website that's just the world we live in now all right so i said <laughs> host showrunner cinematographer period hey i'm andy oh boy these bios are fun yeah this is what i'm saying Here, here's probably what you want to know uh, i'm a showrunner and a host i've been doing it since internet video began it feels like 30 years though i'm pretty sure it's only been about 10 and i'm always down for a new and exciting project that i am i i stand by that <laughs> uh i've showrun ran and hosted projects for mattel full screen at&t machinima the young turks and many more currently I'm the senior producer and co-host of KTLA's KTLA 5 Live, responsible for 10 hours of live news, talk, content every week. We cover breaking news, in-depth stories on Los Angeles, and whatever dog is making news right now. I still stand by that. I spent a year directing content for Mattel for the Hot Wheels YouTube channel and was the showrunner for Full Screen's daily comedy show called At Full Screen, which is original, right? Uh, we, made, or we, we amassed over 140 million views, we also did a clip show for DirecTV that was, listen, it wasn't very good, but it was fun. That's funny. <laughs> Before that, I hosted a late night talk show on PlayStation View called All Systems Go with Andy Reesmeyer. I produced a food and travel show with the James Beard Foundation, and I directed a bunch of episodes of a wine talk show hosted by William Shatner, who has blocked me on Twitter. I got my no, first real break. No, he is not. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you about that later. Okay. I got my first real break hosting a nerd show called Dweebcast on Larry King's digital network, Aura TV. Uh, that included a stint, it's not here, with David Begno, who I know you know. I do a lot of everything at different sizes and scopes of production in multiple formats. Let's figure out what we can make together. <laughs> it, I guess it's not that bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. But because it's your own words, why are bios so hard to write for yourself? Impossible. Well, the other thing is everybody writes their own bio. Why are we pretending when we write these bios that someone is reading them and not thinking that we wrote that dumb thing? <laughs> So that's what my headspace was to just write it like, you know, like if I was talking to you. Um, and I guess if you don't know me, this is probably even worse, but maybe not. Who we'll cares? break down I, some stuff here. Go ahead. No, you were saying. Well, I just I don't even know. I mean, a website is great. I don't know if anybody's ever actually hired me from my website. Maybe they've checked out to make sure I'm not a crazy person, but I don't know that they would come away with any kind of uh, conclusion there. Yeah, I don't know if that's definitive from from reading <laughs> any of this. <laughs> Ding dong with you as well. So uh, I, I do want to break this down a little bit, and and we'll start with Mattel because 
outside of KTLA, that's the first place I saw you because all of a sudden you showed up on my daughter's YT Kids uh, doing Hot Wheels on some parking garage roof, I think it was. Mm. And they, the, the residuals they pay me in Hot Wheels, which is really frustrating, actually. Really? <laughs> Go to no, Andy's, they don't pay me at all. Andy's eBay page. Yeah, really. And uh, so uh, I, let's, I mean, let's start first by the most shocking thing out of that entire rundown that, that you're blocked by William Shatner on Twitter. You're not the only one. He is a prolific blocker. My mm-hmm. buddy Ben Maller over at Fox Sports Radio constantly talks about how blocked he is by William Shatner. I thought we had a really nice thing going. Um, You've worked together. Was... It's not as if you're some troll that he doesn't know. No, well, no. But even though I work together, we work together. I am probably still some troll he does not know. <laughs> you know the thing about Bill. I call him Bill, um, which is, is probably love... why he's blocked you. <laughs> he introduces himself as Bill. I don't know what happened. It was a weird thing. You know, it's funny, and and this is sort of how the world crosses over into itself. Um, I had directed two or three seasons of his, of the wine show, William Shatner's Brown Bag Wine Tasting. And I had done probably 40 episodes. And the, the concept was really simple. It was Bill sitting in uh, fun places in LA, like Grand Central Market or the Travel Town Museum in Burbank uh, or at his horse farm, um, the equestrian center. He loves horses. Interviewing people about what they were, what they do. And they would have to describe a bottle of wine based on their profession. And so we had probably 80% people who were just sort of like off the street, which is what he wanted. And that was kind of fun because sometimes they were really interesting, but a lot of people off the street are not very interesting. Yeah. Uh, So it wasn't like fantastic. But then we did have some really good guests. We had uh, uh, Adam Carolla, who I think you might be familiar with. Yeah. We had... um, LeVar Burton, we had Nigel Lithgow, we had uh, all these all these really interesting kind of celebrities in different ways, and so there, there was some really good content there. But we did the show, and for the next season, I really wanted to have Tim Conway Jr. on, and I hit up Tim, and I thought I was in some position of authority to do this, <laughs> and I said, hey, you want to come on? And he goes, that'd be great! And uh, we set it up, and then he had me on his show on KFI to talk about it, And then, um, for whatever reason, either Tim, no, either Bill's people or the Aura people were like, it's, you know, we we, we think we want to go more like young, hot, real housewife. And I was like, you know, Tim Conway Jr. is a lot of things, and he's pretty close to young, hot housewife. (laughs) But they did. I think they ended up with like one of the real housewives instead, and so they bumped him. And I always felt really bad about that. I thought that was like really low. I thought that was like kind of whack. Yeah. And I never said anything about it, but for some reason, after the show wrapped, I went to go see what he was up to, and he had blocked me, and he had blocked everybody else in the entire, uh, uh, the entire um, production, and I have no idea why. But I've told this story many times. Yeah, it's it's like not a great story because it's like I don't know why he blocked us, but one day he just was no longer going to be a part of our, you know, I wasn't part of his thing. But it's fun to work with him because he's he's really funny when he's on. and he's got so many interesting stories and he's such a character. And he's he's like, one time I saw him before we shot, it was like seven in the morning and we were gonna do an interview at the Grand Central Market downtown. And we were going to interview this 
chef and uh, butcher named Jared Standing, who we ended up doing the interview with. And it was an amazing interview, beautiful uh, uh, um, visuals of like the meat and stuff. I know you're a vegan, so I'll, I'll pause <laughs> if you need to throw up. I, I, I do appreciate a good visual. I, I, yeah. I, I, to yeah. each I mean, their just, own. Just very, very gross for, for you, but for people who love meat, it was, it was just cool. It was a very visual piece. And, um, and I, we got there at seven in the morning to shoot and he got there probably right around then. And while we were waiting, they were like, do you want anything? And he was like, I'll have your finest steak. Oh, <laughs> so, God. so they brought him a steak and he's like, I'll have another one. And I saw the man eat three like steaks what? at seven 30 in the morning before he went <laughs> on the show. And I was like, I love that. I love that about him. And I love talking to him and he was really fun to be on set with. So I don't know if he actually did it or if it was one of his social media people, but uh, that relationship, you know, um, unfortunately has soured. And uh, I wish uh, Bill, if you're listening, I know you're a big fan of the Aaron Bender podcast. I would uh, appreciate a, a little uh, reconciliation now at this point. I've got to guess at 90 years old, he's not operating his own Twitter. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe not now, but I think it, he's still pretty with it. He was just on uh, with Sam Rubin a couple of days ago for his birthday on, on channel five. And um, <clears throat> you know, he's, he's there. It's not like, you know, '90s the new '60, so they say, and uh, uh, he was he was certainly going four or five years ago when we made that show. So I, I imagine he's doing pretty well still. You brought up Aura TV. Your experience with Larry King. Tell me about it. Um, uh, just uh, incredible. Like, wish I would have had more experiences with him. I was there for about three years, two of which I wasn't really working. We worked in our own studio downtown for the show called Dweebcast. Larry was like the, my first day I met Larry. And I was with David Begno working on Newsbreaker. And we were uh, doing like the election coverage for 2012. And it was like Aura 2012 with Larry King. And we were at the studio in Hollywood called Cosmo Studios, which is this very cool loft. They had filmed What's Trending there with Sheer Lazar for a while. And then when, when What's Trending was over, we came in that evening and in the evenings and we would do the Larry show. And um, I remember being like alone with him in the green room for some reason. And I was just a PA and I was like printing out scripts or something like that. And he just struck up a conversation with me and started talking to me. And the thing that was incredible about Larry is that he obviously knew everyone and he, he had had conversations with anyone who ever lived. But what you saw on TV, and I can't say this for a lot of the other people that I've worked with, is exactly who he was in real life. And I mean that in the best possible way. He was funny as hell, very low key funny. Um, he had this, this like insane presence. I mean, he was a little person. He was very skinny and he was, he was probably five, six, maybe taller. I don't know. And he just, when he, when he entered the space, it was like, everyone was, oh my God. And I got to do a couple of really fun bits with him. I did a thing with him and Seth Myers. I'm sorry, Seth Green. All the Seths, all the comedians, Seth White guys are the same to me. Um, and I did this thing with Seth Green, and he and uh, the whole bit was like basically an improv off where we gave you a character, we gave each of them a character, and then they had to like come up with a thing and play that character for a, a micro second. And um, you know, Seth Green is like an accomplished improv person, and I think that Larry King ran circles around Seth. Whoa, Seth Green. Yeah, I think he was he was really, really funny. And um, he was honest and he was not a mean person. 
uh and everybody really loved him and and you know i didn't know him in the 80s obviously i kind of met him in probably 2011 so that was sort of like the twilight of his career and i think that he just loved showing up and walking into work and talking to people and that was uh to just i don't know to be around that and i didn't even know if i realized it at the time but to be there and to see larry king like on the other side of the room so frequently and like who's in here today oh it's julia louis dreyfus oh it's it's uh I mean, literally any person that you could, uh, he uh, talked to any person and they were always in there uh, from like Oprah to uh, John Ratzenberger. You know what I mean? It was like that crazy amount. You never knew who was going to be there. And it was awesome. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg uh, one day. And then um, the woman from, uh, I'm so bad at celebrities. The woman from uh, Laguna Beach, the, the famous one who has a clothing line now. Elsie, uh, Heather, Lauren Conrad. Oh, Lauren Conrad. Okay. And, yeah. and I was going to say, this is why uh, when Sam is out, they don't ask you to fill in. They ask JoJo. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, because I just, you know, this celebrity thing, I'm bad with, this is a, a bad thing if you're a journalist and a TV person. I am so bad with names. I'm trying to be better <laughs> about it. But, and just remind me, what was your name again? One, one more. Just. I, I'm gonna, I, I actually, so I've got this green screen behind me and prior mm. to, like I said, a couple of days ago, I've not really been posting video, so it doesn't really matter, but I want to find out from the TV expert, especially somebody who's battling Skype room spaces with Frank mm -hmm. Buckley. I've got these <laughs> wings over here, mm -hmm. you know, these wings on the other on either side of the green screen. Um, I want to just kind of get your opinion on, I mean, should I move my desk closer and just be surrounded by by the Northern Lights uh, traditional Zoom background, or should mm -hmm. I should I put my logo? Should I go like a, like a step and repeat background? Uh, you know, I love what do you the think? mix of digital and real life. So if it was me, I'm serious. <laughs> I would play it up where I would make the background like a window that you're sitting in front of, and then I'd trim the sides of the green screen. I'm serious. I'd trim the sides of the green screen with like like mullions and maybe like some cool wood paneling to make it really sell the vibe that you're in a lodge somewhere up in Canada. But still leave these sides. Yeah, leave the sides, but make them, you know, like inform them. Or what you could do is back your camera up farther and get a zoom lens and then you know, whatever camera you're using, just zoom into yourself so that you'll compress the background. That's just <clears> it. <throat> it. So I've got, uh, I'm using a Mac right now. There's right. no zoom on it. Mm -mm. So if I wanted to like, here, hold on. Let's just put this here. This is great, by the way. This is what people are watching. This is what they want to see. Well, I told you I was going to use a minute clip, and I think this. Uh, this should be it. Yeah. So let's see if I if I do this. Yeah. Right. Oh 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 right. But see what you're what you're dealing with there then is that your lens is so wide that then the microphone becomes huge <laughs> and your face gets distorted. And what you want really just, is, I mean that just... looks, Aaron Aaron Bender. Uh, famously only three and a half feet tall. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. Can't. It's not bad. I think that I like that. It reminds me of this uh, video game called The Long Dark, which is like a survival game when you're up in the up in the northern Canadian hinterland or whatever. You play any games right now? Do you have time? No, I mean, I, no. obviously you're in Indiana. I don't imagine you packed some, you know, the, the five PS5s you have. No, I know. And you know, I'm very rich, so I certainly do have five PS5s. Um, just kidding. I, I, no, I don't. I'm not, I used to do video game content a lot. And I just kind of, once, once it was a job, I was like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Um, 
But I like talking about video games and I like learning about them and stuff like that. I did Cyberpunk a little, kind of got on that train over, uh, uh, you know, the the Holland days. But I just don't have the I don't have the patience for it like I did when I was a kid. You know, I mean, to uh, to invest 150 hours into a video game that it's like, oh my god, it better be really good. You know, it better like really change my perspective on existence. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's going to be existential at that point. Yeah, I better have like a a, a meltdown or something. What if at you the end did? It, what if you played video games on shrooms? That could work. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a big drug person. Um, even though it's legal now in LA, I'm just like not cool enough to smoke weed, and I just know that. <laughs> did Did you have? that crossroads as a kid, as somebody who rebelled against authority or who didn't really pay attention to authority, did you have that crossroads where you could decide, okay, I'm going to be the drug guy, the drug oh. kid, or I'm going to be the nerd creative kid? Yeah. Um, I probably had the crossroads. I don't know if I realized it, but it was definitely, there wasn't ever a question for me. It was always like, uh, you know, I was raised with a very serious a very serious um, desire or at least need to be productive all the time. And it was like when we were kids, our mom, this is so funny. Our mom would be like, <laughs> are you being productive all the time? We couldn't, we weren't allowed to be bored. We weren't allowed to sort of just like sit around and watch TV and stuff. It was always like, do something, make something, yeah. find something that is enriching, which is awesome. Uh, and I remember the first time I smoked weed was in Indiana and it was, horrifying for me it was like one of the worst experiences i had ever had and i remember thinking like no i kind of like my grasp on reality and i think even to this day i'm a good drinker but to me that's a different sort of headspace than 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 weed is and having tried some other things too it's just like i i don't i don't know if i've got such a loose grasp on existence that i don't need to be further away from it and maybe that's a control thing maybe i'll go to therapy and work through that maybe i'll go to chile or, or chile or argentina or something and do ayahuasca and then i'll change my perspective on it but it just it just never i'm serious it never did it for me and um you know it got in the way of this which is like and this is a lot of what my show is about is a lot of what we're doing right now is like you have to be very present i think all the time you have to be very able to listen and to pivot and to think and be doing all these like permutations and calculations for where you're going next and to me like at least if i was stoned i would not be able to do that or at least i don't know where i would end up yeah i don't um, i don't like the feeling i get when i like do a, a an edible gummy or something like mm -hmm. that and and for example uh and this was um i don't know maybe Five or six weeks after my wife had passed away, um, we had had her funeral, mm -hmm. and and I was just I was feeling overwhelmed, some anxiety, some stress, and I thought, you know what, we've got these leftover gummies from when she was uh, at at the the peak of her cancer fight and pain. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to take one, thinking that it was like, I think I think I thought it was two and a half grams of CBD or milligrams, not grams, but milligrams of CBD. Right. It turns out it was 10 milligrams of THC. Sure. And so, so I took it maybe about an hour and a half before I was to go to sleep. And my daughters often end up sleeping next to me because that's the bed that they would sleep next to mommy in. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I remember needing to fall asleep before they did and, <laughs> and, and crying, crying because I felt like such a bad father. I'm like, oh my God, she's left oh, us. Yeah. And what am I doing with my right. life? I'm what? never going to be right again. I know what, what, like, this is the type of father I am that I'm now, I'm now doing edibles I, before bedtime. I don't understand. And maybe it's a genetic thing because my dad, uh, you know, even through all his cancer and stuff like that, had the opportunity to do uh, anything all the way up to morphine and hydrocodone. You oh, know? yeah, of course. And he's still, still like, he doesn't like it. He right. hates it. Yeah. He's like, I don't like being not here. I don't like being in a different place. And I think... Same you know, thing that's... for my wife. She had all the opportunity to take all kind of like CBD oil and right. uh, whatever. What is the concentrate? What is the, is it the dabs? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Hey, um, all the kids in the chat, let us know. <laughs> Comment below what you think Comment I mean. Below your be your favorite cancer drug. And she, I think at the height of her pain, was only doing like three to five oxy pills a day. And yeah. the pain management specialist was was basically saying, the level of cancer involvement you have now, I have right. seen other patients do 10 or 12 or 15 and still not touch the pain. She was a warrior. She was an absolute warrior yeah. because she did not want to live life out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's a really awful point where you have to start making that choice. Um, and I, I cannot know what that is like, but I think that, you know, and it's incredible because it's also a little bit for us too. Because he doesn't want to feel, you know, he, while he's here, he wants to feel like he is here, and um, so that we can we can spend time with him. And that I think is a really, I mean, it, it's incredible the things you learn about it, and the things that you learn about people, and the way that it teaches you, and and how it makes you reflect on what you are and what you do. And uh, unfortunately, too many people go through it and are going through it, and it and it you know doesn't stop. Um, so it's tough. How's the rest of your family doing through all of it? And, and are they all back in Indiana and you're the only one who ventured West or what's yeah. happening? Yeah. Uh, for the most part. Yes. So, um, how are they all doing? They're good. You know, I mean, we're all here and we're all together and, uh, you know, we hadn't been able to be together for about a year. There was no Christmases or no Thanksgivings or 4th of July's or birthdays or anything because of the pandemic. Typically I would fly back for those, you know, kinds of events. And especially given, you know, when my dad got diagnosed in 19, I was back like every month for a little while. And, um, he had actually been out in LA getting the same treatment that Alex Trebek was getting for about six months and then, uh, elected to stop that treatment a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, that's when, you know, everybody kind of came back here. So, you know, it's good. The fact that we've got vaccines going for most people, um, I think is a really important thing. And, and I, one thing that nobody talks about, or at least that I was not really aware of is that when you have something like this, it's like a terminal illness. And, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of this balancing that you have to do between like when you get, when you get the diagnosis and I'm sure you know this, versus when the inevitable sort of end comes is, is often a long time. It's not as long as, you know, anybody would want it to be, but for us, it's been two years so far and you figure out ways to, you like, you're, you're really, really upset for, I think a couple of weeks and a, maybe a month. 
and you're just like, I remember just being like, I found this out and I just wanted to lay in bed all day. And I like took some time off work so I could just like be home and be sad. And then I flew home and then we were all together. But it's like, you have to reach a point where you say like, okay, if this person has a, has a limited amount of time left. How can I live a normal life with them and not feel like everything is terrible all the time because that's not fair to them either. So how can we try to joke together and how can we try to have fun together and like be close to each other and have and create good memories together as opposed to sitting quietly around a bed and talking about when other things happen. So we've been really lucky because he for the most part has has been you know has responded to treatment really really well and we're able to do things and we're able to go places and we were able to to see stuff and he was able to ride his bike and we were able to go on walks and stuff and so that period of time has actually been some of the most important quality time that i've had with him over the past two years and only recently where he's sort of you know had to had to dial it back a little bit have i had more time to reflect on that which is in itself a gift but going forward it is this strange thing that it's like we need to be able to laugh with each other and we need to be able to have good times together as a whole family and so we're really good at that and we've learned to be very good at that to say like we're not going to sit here and just be morose nonstop every day we're going to sit here and we're going to make each other feel better uh in whatever way we can and so that has been an incredible silver lining in all of this uh to answer your question that's how we're doing i don't know if that's that's a very long answer to a short question the cancer certainly is not a gift, but the perspective, it forces us to either appreciate or create. And, and for, yeah. for many of us, we don't have that perspective before it slaps us in the face and says, you've got to have this perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you're absolutely right. And I, um, I, I, I wonder sometimes, not that we have a choice, but I wonder like, Maybe I was okay not having this perspective, you know. Like, <laughs> maybe I was fine just not knowing. Um, but yeah, and I think it's one of those inevitable things. It's just part of existence, and that there is no, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with now as a family too is like my dad had no risk factors, right? And he was a triathlete. He was a doctor. He's really healthy. He's in his early sixties. He got diagnosed with this disease that's terrible, that's uncurable, uh, that that just ravages your body, and. Um, and we don't have any real understanding for why. And there isn't a genetic reason for him. Uh, he was not predisposed. Similar to, to breast cancer and the BRCA gene, there are genes that, you know, in your, in your um, hereditary uh, disposition, I guess you could call it, that make you prone to this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't have that. And so we have been... I, one of the things that it sort of does for you is you say like, well, your whole, you think your whole life, like don't smoke, don't drink, do you, you know, work out all the time, stay fit so you can live a long life. And it's like, well, sometimes that also doesn't happen that there are these sporadic mutations. Will we someday find a reason for this, uh, that it was more than just a sporadic mutation? Maybe, but I think that you really feel displaced by the idea that, oh shit, maybe we don't have control like we think we do. Take me back to the week you said you kind of basically spent in bed after learning of your dad's diagnosis, where you just sank into your feelings and embraced the sadness. I ask that because it, for the longest time in news, up until recently, 
I would say, maybe the last few years, you are encouraged to forget everything else going on in your mm-hmm. life. You've got mm-hmm. to go to work. You've got to put on a face. You've got to entertain because that's your job. You're not allowed to be human. You've got to be a robot. You've got to mm-hmm. just show up and do your job. At what point did you feel like, you know what? I've I've got to take time off. It was odd. I got sick, actually. Like, I got a cold the same week. And it was sort of like, this is my body telling me that I need to chill out. I think that, I mean, I was at, I was at work when he called me and he told me uh, the diagnosis. And we were doing a 12 o'clock and a 2 o'clock show. And he probably called me at like 9 in the morning LA time. So I had like a little bit of time to sit there in the newsroom and think about it. And I am, and I have always been, a proponent of that mentality that, and, and this goes back to David Begno probably, which is like, you push through, you do it, you get it done. This is your obligation. This is your, this is your identity. Doesn't matter what's happening. You need to do the duty because at a certain point it is a duty. Now what I'm doing every day is not breaking news as much as what, I think typically it would have been. We're a lot more transparent about our feelings. We're a lot more emotionally available to people. We're a lot more personal. We are <clears throat> trying to create a relationship with people. And, and a lot of that comes from our own being honest about things. And um, I went and I still did the show that day, but I shouldn't have. I should have gone home. But I remember going and doing the show and being like, I'm on another planet. You know, you talk about like edibles or being high. Out of, that's <laughs> total out of body experience. Yeah. And just being there and thinking, uh, what? And then you know, the, the shock sort of wearing off and talking to more family members. And the hardest part is really, especially when it first starts, is like the call. My mom and dad are divorced, but the call from my mom and knowing that she had known already because my brother had told her. And then like hearing her reaction to it and then that sinking in for me. The call from my brother who just said like, I'm scared. And like knowing that like, holy shit, yes, that's, that's how this feels. And, and so all of that emotion hitting you at once, like, I don't know if it was because I was, it was just a coincidence or whatever, but I woke up the next day and I felt like absolute trash and I was, I was like congested. And you know, now obviously we wake up with cold and you think you got coronavirus that didn't, we didn't have that. <laughs> but it's totally not a coincidence though. Your, your body basically <clears throat> yeah. took this emotional hit and we think about, oh, well, if I run a marathon, I'm going to be tired the next day. But if you put your emotions through a marathon in one day without training for it, because it just, mm-hmm. you don't train for news like that, no. it's going to knock you on your ass. No. And I remember being really good at like, I mean, I covered Sandy Hook after that happened. I got on a plane with David with Begno and we flew out Friday morning after the shooting and we landed that afternoon or that evening or we took the red eye or something and then we were in we were in uh Newtown, Connecticut the next morning and we were roaming around and we did like 6 days in the snow carrying a live view backpack and a camera just trying to knock on doors and interview people and I just remember being like so emotionally distant from it because that's the only way that I could deal with like what was happening. And by the time that was done, I remember sitting in like the hotel room in Danbury, Connecticut and talking to my girlfriend at the time, like in the hallway and being like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is awful. Like, this is just too much for me. And I quit news after that. And I went and off and did a bunch of old, like other digital projects. Um, and when I came back, I kind of made that decision. I was like, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to emotionally stunt myself. 
And, uh, you know, that means that we cover things a little bit differently, but in a way, <clears throat> the show has been a really important and good emotional um, barometer for me, or at least something to do. And I have such wonderful support from not only my on-screen people, from Robert and Samantha and Bo uh, Bobby, but Olson, my boss, Jason, who just left, uh, Janine, our GM, like everyone gets it. No one is like, you have to be here in your seat. Uh, otherwise, we'll find somebody else. The pandemic allows us to do the show remotely. Having something to do every single day, waking up and going into a job, whether I'm sitting on the couch, like putting shows together and reading things and having something to do from 4 to 6 p.m. on air is really important. And it has helped me, I think, not feel like I'm just sitting and waiting for a second shoe to drop. I want to find out, you mentioned, you know, all the people you work with and for the company recently, last couple of years, was sold from Tribune to Nexstar. And many times when that happens, and we could take this out of the podcast if you don't feel comfortable with it, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be like, okay, trash Nexstar, Nexstar, <laughs> But But many times when something like that happens, if you aren't the tent pole show, Mm -hmm. you have some level of anxiety that, okay, when, when, when are we going to end up on the chopping block? Yeah. The opposite happened in that over the last year, you not only were supported, but you've got a, a you've got a whole new set. You've got mm -hmm. a whole new energy pumped mm -hmm. into there. Talk about that roller coaster the last couple of years. You know, um, yeah, I would love to include this because I think this is actually a really good lesson in transition and fear and actual result. Um, I have worked freelance. KTLA is the first full-time employee job that I've had since I started working in media. And so there was never an expectation that things were going to last that long. And that was just kind of part of the part of the way that it is. And that's fine because it's kind of fun in a way. Um, so I... I have been purchased, uh, worked for companies that have been purchased, acquired, sold by AT&T, uh, other major corporations many times, been on shows that have been canceled for whatever reason. Um, and it's just part of it. And so you think, okay, well, if somebody hired me once or twice, they'll probably hire me again. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> and so, so I think that you have That's to have- That's before the podcast. No. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's before I started trash and next star. Um, <laughs> I was really lucky when I was growing up. My aunt was actually on the radio in Chicago, uh, for the, uh, all news all the time. The equivalent of KNX, right. Yeah. Um, is, uh, was 640 W I think no 670 WAM or WMAQ, which was, uh, a, a, a all talk news station. She was the morning, um, news anchor. And she, that was, I remember seeing that and understanding like what the radio business was from afar, but knowing that like she was in my family and she worked there from 2000 or from like 1988 to 2000 when there was an acquisition, CBS owned two radio stations in Chicago. And they said, uh, we're keeping BBM, MAQ is gone, fired everybody. And, and so I, the, I just was raised with the understanding that if I was going to go into this, it wasn't going to be a stable thing. Uh, I think that I had done a lot of music 
and originally went out to LA to be a musician, that was super unstable. So my fallback career was doing, <laughs> was doing TV, I guess, in a way. And so I just thought, hey, this is great. I have the job. I'll appreciate this for any time that I have it. And so in a, in a, in a nice way, when things like happen and they change, I'm kind of prepared for that. I've been through the turbulence before. Sometimes it comes out okay. Sometimes it doesn't. But I personally don't really notice much difference between Tribune and Nexstar because we're so, um, well, a couple of things. KTLA is like the crown jewel of anybody's portfolio. It's the number one station in Los Angeles. It's the number one station in the Nexstar portfolio. And in a lot of ways, when you're making that much money, I think the whole goal is to say, let me not screw this up. And so with Jason leaving and they're gonna replace him with this new guy, I'm really hopeful that he also will have that mentality. And the reason I think that that probably will be the case is because Janine Drafts, who is our GM, has a lot of the similar mentality of, I just wanna make it continue to work. I'm not coming in here with an ego to try to make it in my own name. And she's been so wonderful and, and really has continued on that legacy. Uh, it's easy to read things like news broadcast blogs and to think that it's terrible and like, oh, this is awful and this is weird. But, I, you know, I think that we already operated on a shoestring budget for our show. We are digital. We are no threat to anyone. And we're inexpensive and we're cheap and we're down to do whatever and to pivot in whatever way. And so because of those things, I, I, mean, I think that we we make ourselves more valuable that way as opposed to just being like, if, if I was working at a station where I was just a weather person or if I was just an anchor, because we are so involved in our production and in our, in our destiny that we have, I think, a lot more um, staying power. Now, I say that and I could be that we all get fired tomorrow, but that's just how it goes, you know? I need to put out the podcast quickly. Because yeah. it may yeah. all change in April. This information, this information, uh, stand by for uh, updates to this developing story. Now, you you do understand I brought up the company and I brought up the show because I'm really talking to you just to get to Bobby. Yeah, well, we all are. And good luck, buddy, because uh, it's his birthday and I didn't even know that. He wouldn't even tell us. <laughs> so, you think... You think things are, are tough? Yeah, I know. You guys were in uh, were in cahoots. Well, not cahoots. You were in competition for a little while there because uh, he was, of course, the producer of the News Directors podcast and uh, the News Bender podcast was, uh, you know, they were toe for toe. Local LA. We were competing for guests when when uh, um, I I only called David Begno after I heard him on the News Directors office. Well, good. Uh, that's good. David Begno is a, is a remarkable human being also and taught me how to work for sure. Um, and I, 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 in a way, I'm glad there's not more people like him in the business because it would be a lot harder <laughs> <laughs> because he's, it'd be a lot more, there'd be a lot more competition, but I also wish that there were more people in the business because that guy is such a, he's a very, very hard worker and he pushes people to be the best possible version of themselves. And, and I am so thankful that I got to sort of study in the the house of beg one of the ways we know each other i think the initial meeting has been a few years you mm -hmm. were a big fan are a big fan of the tim conway jr show on kfi Absolutely. i was the longtime anchor on that show and you wanted to get tim on to ktla5 live mm -hmm. and tim doesn't always do shows like that and so I said, would you mind settling for Bender? And you're uh -huh. like, sure, why not? So I came on. We had a great time. And, it was fun. And then, uh, and then I got fired from my job. 
Mm -hmm. You guys were gracious enough to have me on shortly after that. But then one of the cool things uh, was that you were brought on board to perhaps replace me at KFI. Tell me about that experience. You know how... Was that your first radio experience since high school? Yeah. Like in a real capacity. Absolutely. Um, It was so weird because like, what do you do? You know, like, how do you say no, but also should you say yes? And to be fair, they never actually ended up offering it to me. Gina Grad is just too good. And I get it. I understand. Yeah. So I'm happy that she got the job. And it honestly made me feel it was like such an honor to be able to just do it and to be considered for it. And if you brought back a couple of times to like test for it, I realized, and I think anybody who listens to this, who works in radio knows this, is that it is the goal of all y'all's job to make it look so easy. And you do, especially you guys on that show. And the things that I loved about Conway and still love about Conway, but it's just the sort of effortless entertainment that it is totally it is remarkable like the way that you guys and 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 i will give you the credit on this as well the way that you and he and your your chemistry and dynamic and the way that you guys he zigged and you zagged and would always just support each other and yes and each other and continue the bit and and do it in a way that wasn't like look at me i'm doing something funny uh is so remarkable and i remember getting the call from Chris Little or an email maybe from mm-hmm. Chris. And it was weird because you had you had just kind of evaporated and there hadn't been a lot of talk about that. And we were thinking we were trying to get you maybe to come and do our show. And and they said, Hey, there might be an opening here for anchor for for Tim. And I was like, Oh my God, what a dream that would be. And my headspace was always like, I, you know, I've really loved radio since I was a child. And I found KFI because I missed radio from Indiana. And I used to listen to the news talk radio station here, which was WIBC. There was a, a, a radio now was the FM station here, Smiley in the Morning. There's all these people who have been like on the radio for 30 years and they still are here doing the radio <laughs> and they are just a part of the fabric of the city. And I just always thought that was the coolest damn thing in the entire world. And so I found that same sort of community in KFI and I would always listen to you guys going home at night and, and my show, we tried to create the same kind of a relationship that you guys did for your audience. That's still the thing that we do every single day is we try to say, how can I create a community, whether it's through the Facebook group or just being honest with people or connecting with people and listening to them and talking to them about stuff and telling stories and having a good time. Like, how can I do that, you know, in a way that feels like it's, I don't know, that, that it honors the thing that you guys did. The spirit of that. Well, one of the things that you mentioned, I shouldn't say one of the things you mentioned, one thing I thought of earlier in our conversation was the idea that you actually, KTLA 5 Live, if you just close your eyes, it feels like a radio show because of the type of show you run and the type of, uh, you know, authenticity and transparency that you guys run that show with. Well, thank you. I mean, that's a huge compliment. And I think that that's on purpose in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I uh, have KFI on all the time, you know, I mean, it's literally like from, from Handel to, to George Norrie, I hear it all. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I don't know. And I think that like, when I was asked to do that, it was like, I mean, if you grew up watching 
David Letterman forever. And it was like in your head all the time. And then somebody said, Hey, you want to come try to be Paul Schaefer? You'd be like, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I'll try. But then you're like there and you're like, I don't know how to play the piano. <laughs> how do I talk and play the piano at the same time? Yeah. And, and, um, I felt when I was there a little bit starstruck, overwhelmed, and also realized that like, maybe I don't belong in, in my favorite thing too, you know, which was kind of a weird thing to think about, which is to say, I don't know if I want to make it, I want to listen to it. And, um, you know, they went with Gina obviously, and that was awesome. And I think she's great. And I love her on, on Corolla. And, uh, um, obviously that KFI had some downsizing or whatever happened and they don't even have a, they don't even have a full-time radio person or or news anchor for Conway anymore. And I just, you know, I, uh, it would have been really hell for me to try to do both. Um, and and I also kind of came away thinking that I've, I've obviously listened to Tim a lot, and I think I've emulated Tim, and I don't know if there should be two people trying to be Tim. Um, That's and one in of a the lot things... of ways... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no go no. ahead. Please, you, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, I think that is the role that I play on my show is i mean we're it's very it's very equitable between me and sam and bobby and robert but i think that i'm i'm definitely not like my own sidekick if that makes sense (laughs) and i think that i'm i've been you know like on the shows that i've worked on i've been sort of like my own my own host or whatever and uh and so i think it would be i I probably figure it out but it wasn't super natural for me to get into that position to be like oh no i need to be supporting this in the way that they are supporting me um and so i think that would have been some friction. Not that like we couldn't have figured it out, but I, but I don't know. I just, I, I think the, the really at the end of the day, I just like to hear it. I would like to hear it. I don't know if I want to make it. It took me a while to figure out. And uh, with the help of uh, the program director, Robin Bertolucci, who basically said, Hey, your job as Tim's sidekick and news guy is to make him look good. And to to um, set him up however you need to set him up or or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know if she used all those exact words, but that's basically what it was. Mm-hmm. And I think prior to that, I was trying to do too much. I was trying to be too much, be somebody I'm not. I'm not a host. I'm not a very good host when it comes to doing radio. Uh, you know, I'd, you, you give me an eight to ten minute segment and... I don't know that I could necessarily fill it. I love having well. conversations with people, people either on my team or a guest, mm-hmm. but talk show host, I am not. And once I got that in my brain that I just need to make sure that he sounds as good as he's supposed to sound, all was good after that. But prior to that, it was rough. It was a rough transition. And I, and I told really him, hard... I've said it on the air before. I was like, I don't know if he's really KFI material. <laughs> because there's nobody like him there was no show no. like his no even and, and it's funny because i listen to radio now when i came back to indiana and it's the the thing that nobody has right there's a lot of people on radio who are pissed off who are saying things that sound pretty good who are saying things with a lot of conviction but there is nobody doing it in a way that you'll listen to it and you'll come across you leave with feeling like the way you feel after you listen to Tim. Yeah. And it's a combination of his charisma and his humor and his goodness and his sort of self awareness. And I mean, I I don't hear him being 
I, I don't I don't know. No one can no one is like that. And it's like just there's something so uh sweet about that. And it's it's in his father as well. Um but it's not like overly it's I don't know, it's just like an honesty and it's an earnestness and it's just I nobody has that here. Uh there's a lot of really good radio here, but nobody's got that. Nobody's got that thing and that's you know, th that's something to be in awe of for sure. But I, I think it was kind of interesting to hear you talk about that because I don't think a lot of people, especially at least in our industry, w are ready to take a uh, sidecar. I don't think they're ready to sit in the passenger seat. And I wondered if, you know, that's a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing to realize. I guess you maybe have to realize that because otherwise... You don't have a job <laughs> at, at some point. Yeah. At some point. And, and, uh, and I think also when I moved to mornings, there was a lot of that as well. I mean, it was also just the way I was living my life. I wasn't preparing. I was tired all the time and it mm. just, you know, it just, it was a, it was not a good mix. And so going back to Conway, it just felt good to uh, get back into that sidecar and just go along for the ride. For sure. Do you miss it? Oh Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I miss the creativity, being able to just work with my friends every night. Every, yeah. yeah. But, but as I've said on the podcast before, it was a gift, not, uh, you know, obviously all, all the, all the pain associated with losing my job, that's not a gift at all, but learning a few months later that my wife's cancer had returned two months yeah. after that, the pandemic hits. Right. So, uh, it was a, it was a gift freeing me from that part of my life uh, mm -hmm. to be able to spend the kind of time I needed to with my wife, with my daughters, and focus on the priorities that were here at home. Well, and I think you've been very public about searching for forgiveness and also bettering yourself and atoning and also trying to trying to be a better person. And I think in your words, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. and that, I think that's rare. I don't think you see a lot of that. And I think that that also kind of is an extension of what we originally talked about, which was that there is a level of honesty and transparency. And when you start to form relationships with people, whether in real life or through the weird things that we have lucked into doing in our careers, um, I think that that's, you just have, like, why would we stop all of a sudden being honest with people? You know, why would you stop all of a sudden sharing what's happening. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that that's good. I, I, I also just wonder what an odd, um, what an odd couple of years to have reflection of, of things, you know, and what, a, what, a, what, a, we were all speeding so fast and to have a moment to stop and all these things that were, that happened, um, that were presented to us that made us say, am I doing the thing I should be doing? Am I living my life right? Um, yeah. And I think that's the only way that you can come out of this without feeling like, you know, what are you going to die? Like, no, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to disappear forever. So try to figure out how to, how to survive through it and, and be there. And I'm glad that, you know, I mean, it's, it's really interesting and nice to hear about you and your, and your daughters and being there for them and what kind of, um, opportunity this is in a weird way, giving you to be like a really present father. And I think that's really cool. I don't have kids. But, you know, I have parents and I think it's, you know, really that relationship is so important. 
I do want to find out, let's go back to uh, when you came out to California. Mm-hmm. That was for music. Was that you were going to be yeah. the the next American Idol? What 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 was what was the deal there, Andy in the Valley? Yeah, well, I was going to be the next Frey. Is like what the point we were going to do? <laughs> uh, we were in a band called The Working Hour, and uh, I played all around the Midwest and stuff. And we had a little bit of momentum there. I made a couple albums and toured, and then went out to L.A. with my buddies from high school in the classic American rock band story, and uh, lived in a little house in Hollywood and and tried to play shows and uh, you know it just very quickly did not work out before we get but, down the road too far i want to ask as somebody who grew up in indiana did you have to make a choice between new york nashville or la yeah um yes i didn't really have a choice because i had luckily like figured out a way to get a job in la through like a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing where i could do websites and that was also great because we had worked with this producer who also lived in Los Angeles. And so we thought, Hey, we got to be somewhere where there's a scene and Nashville wasn't really it. New York, especially in 2008, 2009, didn't seem like there was much of a music scene and LA was really cheaper at the time than New York and probably still to this day. So we thought, you know, we can have a little house in Hollywood and record together and practice and, and maybe that'd be fun. And so we did that, uh, and uh, we made a couple albums and I really figured out that I loved making stuff throughout that whole process. And that was the thing that I fell in love with. And I thought, you know, actually at the end of the day, and this is really good, I think for, for what we do every single day is like, if you can fall in love with the process that you're doing every day, which is either prep or shooting or writing or whatever, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. It doesn't matter what the end result is. It doesn't matter if you like the show or not. If you like going to work and being with your friends and being creative, like you were saying, it'll all work. That's the best. Uh, now, tell me about that uh, March 5th posting on your Instagram, at Andy KTLA. Andy in the Valley, music video for Liar. That's right. So, so I continued to do stuff for fun. And when I moved, uh, I got... I moved a couple of years ago and I got a bunch of like recording equipment. I just was sort of amassing my guitars and pianos and stuff. And I always just like to do music still. And I thought, I was like making bed music for our show. I was recording a bunch of stuff and I was like, this is kind of fun. Let me, let me like put some of this stuff out. So I just thought, you know, hell, why not? Um, the song Liar sounds like it is about <laughs> a relationship and it is written in that way, but it is a fictional story, sort of, um, <laughs> about a very famous liar uh, who uh, sold a, b- a bunch of people a lot of a bill of false goods and then it all came out that that was a lie. And so I wrote it about that because I kind of figured that there was lying going on and nobody else, nobody else was believing me. And so I wrote this song as sort of this like way to, um, I don't know, to, as a creative outlet. And it was fun. It was really cool. And so there's a couple other songs on Spotify, uh, Andy and the Valley, and I'll keep making them. Um, been able to record some stuff with some really fun uh, Instagram and uh, TikTok musicians, which is like a cool new thing. Back in the day, we would collab with people you'd meet at like Silver Lake Lounge, and now you can collab with people who you're like, oh, you're like you're a really cool drummer. This one drummer named Bianca Richardson is B dot Rich Drums, who actually I interviewed on the show, and this kid named Ruben Juan, who's also an incredible guitarist. And so I've been able to like meet these people and make music with them, and it's just been like, it's just been so fun. How'd you um, get the permit for the bonfire? I mean, we're in Los Angeles you know County That's, here. I uh, that was shot um, off site in a. Uh, Undisclosed location, <laughs> not in Los Angeles. No, that's my backyard. 
I probably don't tell Alex Villanueva. And and of course we'll 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 link to the video the music video and Thank by you. this point I probably would have already played a clip of the song, but I want to know about that music video. Uh, <laughs> how many items were not thrown into the bonfire? Because I seriously, as watch as we watch that video, I was waiting for you to grab like uh, a red wagon to throw in there <laughs> and, and and like an anvil or. The, the tough thing was that we kept we had to do it like six or seven times and it was all about like keeping the fire going and we we first we had a bunch of fake stuff that we were going to throw in that made it we made things that looked like they were personal items like maybe from an ex-girlfriend or something you know but we eventually reached a point where my friend jack and i who were making we made the video in the, in the backyard we were out of stuff so we had to like start going into <laughs> Like my garage and just finding things. Like, yeah, it was an I guess actual six-year-old yeah, like, letter like, that Andy wrote that we you'd love to have right now, but uh, damn it, it's the sacrifice for, for art. For the art. That's exactly right. And we had like his girlfriend's car was there. He drove it over. And so we ended up just going in the back of her trunk and pulling out a bunch of her clothes and burning them. And stuff. <laughs> she doesn't know. Don't Sorry, babe. Her. Yeah. Whoops. Sorry, Sydney. Uh, you know, and whatever it's funny i mean it's 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 she was she was fine with it she knows we replaced it but you know it was it was fun and the whole idea is like can you make really cool cheap simple ideas that work and that was a fun one and uh so i'm very proud of that we're making more of that stuff and and um the thing that i've realized too is it's like being old now and putting out music it feels like music is for younger people for the most part so there's this sort of thought of like do i make stuff that's just fun for me or do i try to make things that feel like they are current and popular and i kind of just decided to hell with that let me just make stuff that i like so being influenced a lot by like tom petty and um a lot of the sort of like 70s la rock and the sort of like sounds of the valley the jackson browns the 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 um you know i don't know tears for fear like a lot of things that are of that era uh that i really like a lot because i love the valley the valley is the coolest place man how did you settle on the valley I, I god i just keep going i just keep asking questions this is years in the making so i've just got so many questions well, how did you, you settle nice. on living bored, in the valley <laughs> how do i settle on living there or the or the name of the record um well a little bit of both i mean okay. you know as if you work in hollywood ktla is famously in hollywood it's like the center yes. of how did yeah. you settle on being a valley guy? Well, I'd be in the in the in Hollywood, but I'm on the internet, so you know the valley is for internet people. I think is how <laughs> how it comes down. Um, uh, not you know, not Silicon well, Beach. No, no, man. If only. God, it's so expensive. I was working. I lived I lived in Beverly Hills for a little while when I first moved to LA. lived in lived in West Hollywood, uh, in like kind of little apartments and stuff, and bumped around there working in places. Ended up downtown. I uh, lived downtown for a year and I loved that in like a really cool old building. And we had like a little setup where we shot our show at one side and then we all, I lived on the other side and it was just like a bohemian dream. Uh, but the rent went up like crazy and I saw somebody jump off the roof of the standard from my apartment and I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> this is, yeah, this isn't somewhere that I need to be. Um, and, uh, and, and so moved up to the valley because i was working at larry i was working for larry and they our studios were in glendale and so i thought well it's i could be over closer to there and i found a really good deal near cbs radford and it's so funny because i used to see i was really close to the entrance of this of the cbs los angeles 
you know, KCAL CBS uh, station. And I would like be sitting on my patio every day in the afternoons and stuff like that. And I'd see Kai Goldberg drive in <laughs> and I'd see him in his huge suburban and his beautiful beaming presence and his perfect skin. And he's just a, he's just a, like just a vision and I used to see him driving in like all the time and I would clock him and I was like oh this is so wild and now I see him like every day you know because he's at channel five now um and so I always like have been just sort of surrounding the the media world um and uh, uh then I think I started working on the west side and I was working at Poly and at Mattel and that was a hell of a commute because I was doing that like every day for three years but I didn't really want to move because I didn't know how long that was going to go on and I loved my place in the valley and about a year later, I moved to this little house in Sherman Oaks that has just been a dream for me, uh, especially in the pandemic, to have like a backyard. And I just, I don't know, I like the valley because it's like the Midwest a little bit. It's a little more low key. It's a little less expensive. The simplest things like going to CVS and being able to park without pulling a ticket and parking in a garage, you know, is like, it's just <laughs> weird. Just things like that that like make you happy. Um, and uh, I think, you know, my girlfriend lives in the Valley and that's like a big part of it too. So well, there's that. You know, yes. That's probably yes. the number one thing. <laughs> you should have led with that. I should have just said that. Yeah. But I love the Valley. I do. And I know you're a Valley guy. Yeah. Um, uh, Tim was Santa Valley Clarita guy. Valley now. Oh, so no, no Nordoff. No more Chatsworth. I mean, I, I teach at Cal State Northridge, but that's on Zoom now anyway. So sure. I, I think I, the only reason I go to the Valley now is to pick up vegan food at uh, Leo's Superfood. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and also some vegan Filipino food from our friends in Granada Hills. Ooh! Oh, it's so fancy! LA. It's fancy! So this is audio. This is video. This is digital. We have mm-hmm. figured out how to do production in multiple formats. I'm glad we mm-hmm. could figure out what we could make together, Andy. Oh. Well, that's so sweet. I, you should come and do our show too soon, since I know you have that nice microphone now and the beautiful background of the Northern Lights. Can I bring the microphone? Should I just bring the microphone? I mean, Please you, don't. I'm requiring I'm requiring that, actually. We don't have <laughs> don't KTLA. Have, you don't have extra news, microphones. Sorry. Again, like, I don't know what you think. I don't know what kind of perception that we're putting off here. Bobby probably has one left over from the news director's office, no? Yeah, but those are probably in the glass cases next to the Emmys. Mm, so. Well done. Look at the flex. Just Look kidding. Flex. Not for me, though. I never got one. Andy, I, I love I you, buddy. One, so I, you too, bud. I'm going to try that again. Andy, I love you, buddy. You too, bud. Hold on. Now we're going to try it again without me banging on the desk and sounding like an idiot. Andy, I love you, buddy. You too. Thanks, buddy. All right. I'll mix something in there together. I might even leave all three. I might even just leave I like, all three. I like how the sausage is made. That's sort of part of what we do here. Yes. Yes. I usually you know. just kind of edit out a few things here and there. My, start, my, my, my stutters and my stops and starts. But by and large, it's all staying in. You can watch this episode on YouTube and DB and ATV. Follow the Aaron Bender podcast on your favorite platforms and link to it at AaronBender.com. That's also where you can find all my social media. If you have guest ideas or comments, email me, AaronBenderMedia at gmail.com. Be well and thanks for listening.